0: Half of you are, like, traumatized, right? We're killing ducks up in here. How many of you guys, how many of you have ever gone hunting before? Any hunters in the room? You've safely and legally hunted with an adult? That's awesome. All right, so I have some, I have some hunting tips for you. These are Rob's tips on hunting tonight because I love to hunt. I hunt duck, deer, alligator, a hog. And so there's something you need to know about hunting if you're interested at all in hunting. It's this. Here's my tip. Are you ready? You have to be patient, all right? You've got to be willing to wait patiently when you're hunting. You see how those ducks are flying all around on that, on that video? They're, like, going all over the place, and if you try to shoot too soon, you're not going to hit them. They're too hard. They're too uh, far away. But when they start to come in and get really comfy with, like, the surroundings, they come in and they do what this little guy right here is doing. See how he's, like, he's like backpedaling with his wings? And so he comes in to land, and just when he's cupping those wings and backpedaling, He can't, like, move very good. He's kind of stuck there. And that's when you go, bang, and you shoot him right out of the air. It's great, right? And then your dog goes and gets him and bring him home and eat him and fry him up in butter. He's delicious, all right? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. You have to be willing to wait for that moment, though, or you're just going to, like, miss the whole thing. It's, It's the same with deer hunting. One morning a few years ago, I was up in North Carolina, South Carolina, and I was hunting, and I saw these deer come out every single morning at the exact same time right in this one stand in the woods that I hunted in. And so I knew with all my heart that next morning, which was my last day there, I had to get that deer. There are about five of them that came out there every single day. So sure enough, I get out there right at the right time, and I'm waiting, and they all come out. There's about five just kind of come out, and they start eating. And then two more come out. It was more deer than I'd ever seen, just all together, just sitting there. And so that morning, I had, like, gotten up a little bit late. And so when I get out there, I, de- I couldn't even get to my stand without them seeing me, so I, I sneak back to the shed, and I just grab a lawn chair. <laughs> and I sit a lawn chair right down in the middle of the, the little field there, and I'm sitting there, and I, I'm like, I'm going to do this. I pick up my rifle, and I'm looking through my rifle, but it's really early morning. It's kind of foggy like it is here and Misty, and so that, like, my scope is getting all fogged up, and I'm trying to look through that thing, and I'm squinting, and I get up my eye, like, right up against it, trying to see where this deer is, and I get this perfect shot. And by perfect shot, I mean three deer lined up like this, bump, bump, bump. And I had to be right on all of their hearts. I know, I know, I'm freaking, I'm freaking you out. But I was going to shoot and get three deer with one shot. It was going to be the greatest moment of my life, right? So I'm like pointed in, I'm ready to go, and I'm waiting, and I just like, I'm like, if I wait one more second, I'm going to miss this. But it wasn't quite right because my, my scope was still foggy and I didn't quite have the right, the right angle on the gun how I needed to shoot, and so I just got all worked up, and I pulled that trigger, and that thing went off. Bang! That gun came back, and that scope hit me straight in the eye like this, and all I saw was just like, blood just like squirts out out of my face, almost knocking me out. And so I'm just like sitting there like stunned, like what just happened? I totally missed him. All the deer just run away. And I just like drag my gun back to the cabin. And when I get there, people are like, who hunted who out there? Like you were covered in blood. I'm just like bleeding everywhere. My eye was gouged open. And I realized something that morning. Patience is so important, right? I tried to rush it. And when I rushed it, I ended up Hurting myself, right? And I missed the whole thing. And so this, this text that we're in tonight, I want you guys to see this. This is awesome. We're in James 5, verses 7 to 12. James is still talking to us, right, about how to live like Jesus. And what he's going to tell us tonight is that very thing of how important it is to be able to wait patiently. And sometimes when we rush things, when we can't wait, we settle for lesser things. We don't wait for the best thing that's in store for us. If I had just waited, man, I could have had the shot of my life, but I rushed it. And sometimes it's the same thing when we're trying to live for Christ and we're rushing things. We're in the middle of a trial. Life's tough. And we're like, God, I want to be out of this right now. I want you to fix this right now. I want to be out of this situation because I don't like it. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to take it anymore. And so we try to rush it ourselves. You're not going to do it, God? Then I'll I'll come up with my own plan. I'll do this. I'll take care of it because I'm not staying in the middle of it. And all of a sudden we realize, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Like when we rush things, we ruin things. We settle for lesser things than God has for us. He has some awesome plans. But it requires us being like, God, I will wait and be patient. So that's what James is going to throw at us tonight. I hope you're ready. It's James 5, verses 7 to 12. It says this, be patient, therefore, brothers. Hear that? Be patient. who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. So he starts it off, and he's pretty, he's pretty clear, right? Be patient. Be patient. Based on all that stuff you just got finished saying, right, when he talked about how some people look at others as lesser than them because they have more money, they have a better station in life, or they have more influence. How sometimes we judge others because we think too much of ourselves. And so James kind of puts us in our place in a good way. He causes us to see how big God is and how awesome Jesus is and how, just how small we are. And as we start to grasp that, he's like, so listen, if you're that small and God's that big, then be patient. Stop trying to do things yourself. Stop trying to make your life work out the way you desperately want it to work out. And instead, be patient and wait on God and say, Lord, however you have this, I'm ready. I'll wait. You can keep me in the middle of this trial, God. If it's your plan, I'm all in. And that's what James is trying to get across to us, that waiting isn't always a bad thing. See, we don't live in a culture where we like to wait, though, right? Like, if I want to buy something, I don't even go to the store anymore. It's like Amazon app is open. A couple minutes later, it's ordered. The next day, it's at my door. Right? We're hungry, so, like, let's just Uber eat something right now, and then boom, it's just like, it's right there. Like, everything about about our lives is based on convenience now, and we're just, like, not patient anymore. We don't like to wait. We We look at waiting as this bad thing, and James is telling us the exact opposite. When it comes to Jesus, when it comes to your walk with Christ, waiting is this incredible thing that God uses to make you who he wants you to be, to mold you. So we need to retrain our brains to stop looking at waiting as a bad thing and start looking at it as this awesome thing that God uses in our lives, right? He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So you know what? Patience, patience is basically waiting with hope in your heart. It's not just the waiting because I can wait very grumpily, right? I can be a grumpy waiter. But patience says that I can wait with hope, that I'm not sitting here like, totally discouraged and feeling hopeless, but that there is a hope, and he mentions it. He says, until the coming of the Lord. So that means Jesus is that hope that I have that makes me patient. The thing that's better that's coming is Jesus. The thing that's better that's coming in your life is eternal life with God in heaven if you've trusted Christ. That's so much better than any terrible thing that's happening in your life. Any trial that you might be going through, this makes it worth it the hope that you have that Jesus, your Lord, is coming back for you, and all of that stuff will be wiped away. Revelation says every tear will be wiped away from our eyes because Jesus is this incredible reward that's worth patiently waiting for. And then he says this. He says, see how the farmer, he points out a farmer, he says, waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rain. So two things I want you to see here. He's talking about this farmer who's out like trying to grow crops and you obviously need water to grow crops. So he's waiting in the rain. And it, it says here it, that he waited on the early and the late rains. Like you know that there are seasons. You know that there are dry periods. You, you understand that. You walk outside. Tonight it's cold. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? All of a sudden we had a cool day. You understand how seasons change and farmers base their, their farming off of seasons. And so What it's saying here is that they don't determine when it's going to rain. Farmer doesn't walk outside, they didn't be like, all right, look, cloud, like, let it loose. Like, it doesn't happen. He has to actually submit to the fact that it's going to rain late, it's going to rain early, and he has to be patient, and he has to wait, and he doesn't set the timetable for that season. It's out of his hands. There's this huge amount of faith that farmers have to have to think, oh, man, I'm gonna be able to actually grow a crop this season and make a living and feed my family. Because they can't determine when the rain comes. They can't determine the seasons or what the weather is gonna be like. It's the same way with us. James is like, listen, that's how, your, that's how your life with Christ is. Like, you don't get to determine the timetable. You have to look to God and say, God, you determine my timetable. You determine how patient I need to be. You determine how quickly I will be blessed and receive blessing from you. I love that James calls it precious fruit. It's kind of weird in a way when I first heard it, I was like precious fruit, you know? But then I thought about it and I was like, dude, that's awesome because that precious fruit, the product of patience, product of me waiting with faith and hope in my heart and saying, God, this is hard. This is difficult. Just like farming is difficult, it's hard work. That's happening in my heart as I wait with patience before the Lord, and it produces this precious fruit in my life, hope, faith. It causes me to trust Jesus, the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again for me. That's precious. There's no better payoff in the entire universe than that I get to see Jesus face to face. That's the promise. I don't set the timetable. And the the sooner we realize that we don't get to tell God when things should be happening in our lives, the sooner we're going to start to see that blessing in our lives. We're going to start to see that faith develop and that hope that we get. Look what he says next. He says, you also be patient, just like that farmer. You should have patience in your heart. And he says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. When he says establish your heart, what he means here is he's like, hey, listen, take your heart and let it find its foundation in Jesus. Let it find its greatest hope and faith in Jesus so that there could be everything burning down around you in life. And you could still stand there and say, my heart is full of joy and hope. And People look at you like you are crazy, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that furnace. How could they still stand in the middle of that? Because they had a hope. that was so deep. It was established in Jesus, the fact that the coming of the Lord, Christ is coming back, y'all. Like, and he's coming back soon. He's going to take us to be with him. That's an incredible thing that I can look forward to and say that's the best thing that could ever happen to me. So let me get serious with you for a minute. Do you care that Jesus is coming back? Does it excite you? Does it thrill your heart to think that the one who died for you, the very son of God who loves you enough to create you, to go to a cross for you, to rise again from the dead for you, and to come back for you, is on his way? Or has it become some sort of fairy tale that's no more real to you than Mickey Mouse? It's this legend, this story that some crazy pastor gets up and talks about all the time? Or has it established itself in your heart? Have you truly trusted and believed that your Savior, Jesus Christ, is coming back for you? And just the words, just hearing those words tonight, cause your heart to just yell and scream like, I am so excited that Jesus loves me. I pray that if that's not you, that God's grace would give that to you, that he'd open your eyes up to the wonder of what James is talking about, here. that the coming of the Lord is at hand. Let that establish itself in your heart in a way that changes you and rocks your life. Because when you truly believe that, and you're trusting that, and you're hoping and getting excited, Christ is coming back, you start to look different. You start to talk different. You start to live different. People start to look at you like, what is the deal? And you're like, I just can't help it. I know Jesus is coming back, and I'm so excited because I love him, and I want to see him. there is a fire that gets set in your heart when you truly believe that, and it becomes established in your heart. Jesus is coming. soon. Then he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, we obviously don't grumble against each other in this room, right? You guys are like, we all get along. So this doesn't even apply to us, right? Well, he thought it did, so he wrote it in the Bible because he knows we do this. And he says, don't grumble against one another, brothers, meaning those who believe in Jesus that even in this room, as we are thinking probably, as I mentioned that verse of people, that maybe in your heart, you're silently grumbling about what they did to you. And you're thinking about what they said yesterday at lunch. Or that argument you're having with your parents over this thing. You guys just don't see eye to eye on. Or all these moments in your life where you have this conflict in relationships, right? That best friend who stabbed you in the back. You're just so mad at And there are all these things that we could grumble about each other And James is like, don't do it. And you're like, why not? They deserve it, you know? He's like, don't do it. You don't need to do it. As that becomes established in your heart that Jesus is coming back and this hope wells up inside of you, those things seem so trivial. It allows you to be a forgiving person because you're waiting for something so much better. It allows you to show mercy and compassion and love because you're not caught up in all this like trivial stuff anymore. Your eyes can't help but look up into the sky and say, is Jesus coming? Like, I wanna see Jesus. I want him to change my life. I want to be with Jesus. And you're so excited about it and it's done some real things in your heart and your life that you're able to look at people and say, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. I forgive you. You messed up, I messed up. I can show mercy. I can be quick to forgive. I can love people. And I don't have to have all this dissension and, and disunity in my relationships because Jesus has changed that. Then he says, here's why. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So at the very moment, we try to be the judge, right? And he already talked about that before. In previous passages, when we try to judge other people. He's like, no, don't do that because you ain't the judge. But the judge is coming. He's right there. He's cracking the door open. He's peeking in and he's watching you in the courtroom pointing your finger at all your friends and all these people who have wronged you trying to be the judge. And he's right there catching you do it in the act. Handing in the cookie jar. He's like, what are you doing? I'm the judge. And if he walks in on you seeing you do that, you're missing the whole point. The point is he's on his way. And so he's about to bring justice and it's better justice than you could ever bring to your life. You're thinking about people who have wronged you right now, right? And and what needs to happen to make it right, and the justice that needs to happen, or maybe you're thinking about all of the injustice in the world, the evil that exists all across this world, all the horrible things, the tragedies that are happening to people, the oppression that's happening, all this stuff. And you're like, man, how could all that happen? There should be justice. God should do something about it. Well, you know what? He's like, he's standing at the door. It's about to happen. He's peeking in at the world, and he sees the injustice both all around the world and in your life right now, and he's going, I'm about to make this right. Be patient. Don't jump ahead of my plan. Trust that I love you, and I want the best for you, and I'm going to make it right, and there's going to be justice, but don't try to get ahead of me. I'm the judge. I'm almost there. I'm about to show up, and when I do, all things will be made right. So wait on me. Trust me. Be patient. Let hope fill your heart that I'm really coming to do the thing I said. I'm coming to do. Listen, I say it like it's easy, but I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. As people have wronged you, as you're sitting in your seat right now thinking about all the things that have been done to you, Some of your stories that I know, it's tough. Here James James is making a promise that comes from Jesus' lips. No matter what your story, no matter what the trial you're sitting in, Jesus cares. And he cares enough to say, I'm coming back to make it right. Will you just be patient? Will you take that thing and Pick it up to him and say, Jesus, just take it. It's yours. I'm not going to try to jump ahead of your plan. I'm just going to trust you and know that you are going to make this right. It's God's timing, not ours. Lord, give us patience. And then he says this, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So he wants to give us an example of this. He's like, listen, the prophets lived a long time ago, they literally spoke and foretold all the stuff that Jesus was going to do. These guys told what was going to happen because God gave them this message to share with people. And these very guys had to live and wait on them, those things to be fulfilled. It wasn't like they said it and bam, it was done. Like they said it and the people were like, where is it? Like we don't see it. And they had to be like, no, listen, I swear it's coming. God said it, it's going to happen, but it wasn't happening immediately. So they were living in this moment where people were doubting what they were saying. And they were finding that like, people wanted them to like, defend themselves about it, and they didn't. Instead, they were this awesome example of saying, God said it, we take him at his word, he will do it. Well, you know what? We're sitting in a similar moment. Jesus has been foretold. It says he's coming back, and we're waiting because he's not quite back yet, but he's coming. And we're called to wait. We're called to be patient even when the world comes and doubts us and says, are you sure I don't see him? Where's he at? It's been 2,000 years now. Where's Jesus? Prophets had to face the same thing. And as they did, look what it says. Look what James says about them. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Christmas is coming, right? We're only a couple seasons away now. It's a couple months away from Christmas And how many of you guys are super impatient present openers? Anybody in there and you cannot stand seeing a present sit there without opening it? Anybody, a few of you? Oh, all of you? Okay, me too. It drives me nuts to see presents under the tree. And I'm like, no, like, especially if it's like a month in advance. Like, no, dude, I'm not going to wait all of December to open that. So I'm the shaker, sniffer. You know, I tell, sometimes I open it and try to, like, put it back together. I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I can't stand it. It drives me nuts. I'm so impatient. I got to know. I got to open that present. It drives me crazy. And sometimes I approach my relationship with Jesus the same way, with that same impatience of, like, man, I, just, I need it done now. But what James is saying is, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. There's a blessing that happens in your patience. You might hate it. You might be so fed up with waiting. But God's at work in you. He's doing a thing in you. So as you show patience, what God's doing is he's building faith and hope in your heart. He's causing you to be able to the next time go, Lord, I trust you. Without hesitation, I trust you because last time you proved yourself worthy. You showed me you do keep your promise. You show me that you do come through. So the next time I'm going to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to take a step. And this faith builds up in my heart. It's this incredible gift that God gives us through patience. And like a farmer, it can be hard work to be patient and to wait, but it's so worth the wait. It's so worth what God's going to do inside of you if you will not rush things. Some of you so desperately want to be in a relationship, don't rush it. Don't rush into a relationship for the sake of it, but instead wait on God because he has the perfect person for you. He has a perfect plan for you, whatever that looks like, and it's worth waiting on his plan. Some seniors are already like, oh, college is coming, and you're like tempted to rush a decision, but have you stopped and asked God and patiently said, Lord, I'm gonna patiently just wait for you to give me my answer. Don't rush a decision before the Lord has spoken. Whatever your situation is tonight, we all have things where we could set it on the altar right before God's feet and say, Lord, I'm tempted to not be patient. Like, I just want to do this thing. I want to encourage you wait. It's okay to wait. It's good to wait with patience and say, God, I'm not moving until I hear your voice. I'm not going to act on my own, but instead I'm going to live in faith and trust that you're going to do this. And then James finishes the last verse. Um, the last section, sorry, he says he starts to talk about this guy named Job, right He says, "You have heard of the steadfastness right, of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate." and merciful. Now Job's a dude who like everything went wrong in his life. If you go back and read the book of Job, you're going to find a guy who is this awesome dude who was like righteous and followed the Lord, but all this bad stuff happened. People are like, why would this happen to Job? He's a good guy. And then like bad people are over here, like who do horrible things. They're getting rich and living these awesome lives. And this awesome, righteous dude who loves God is being like, just going through the worst stuff. Job's own wife came up to him at the end of all these horrible things as he's laying in bed, covered in boils, and she's like, hey, listen, just curse God and die. He didn't. He didn't take her advice. It was terrible advice. Instead, he looked at God and said, who am I to tell you what you should do? And he showed patience in waiting before God, even in the middle of all the trials that he was in. So James points out Job. He says, remember this story. Remember what Job went through. You know what that tells me? That tells me that you can trust him even in the middle of parents being divorced. You can trust him even in the middle of heartache from that breakup that just crushed your heart. You can trust him in the middle of cancer, death of a loved one. You can trust him in the middle of discouragement or financial hard times, changing schools and losing friends, being betrayed by a best friend, being persecuted for your faith in Jesus. You can stand there in the middle of that and say, I can patiently wait on you, God, because you're not done and you're standing at the door. You're right here. Jesus is on his way, and that's the real prize that I'm waiting for. He ends with this verse. James says this. Don't miss this part. He says, but above all, the most important thing, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James quotes Jesus. This is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And Jesus is talking about how all these people used to like, they felt guilty when they'd like promise each other, they would swear by God's name that they would do things. So they're like, man, if I swear by God's name and I don't do it, he's going to strike me dead. So I'm not swearing by God's name. I'm going to swear by that this iPad over here instead, because that thing ain't killing me. They would pick lesser things. It was the most odd thing, but they would say like, I'll swear by that rock or I'll swear by whatever. And so they would pick these other things that didn't seem as threatening. It was a loophole to fall through on their promise. They were basically telling people like, I'm not really probably gonna do this. And James comes up and he's like, don't do that. (laughs) Don't even swear by God's name. As a matter of fact, do you control tomorrow? If I make you this promise and make this oath with with you, I'm saying that tomorrow I will do this thing, but I don't control tomorrow. I don't know if I'll even wake up tomorrow. Who am I to say that? Who am I to make that promise? And so what he's saying again is this patient waiting, saying it's out of my control. God is the only one who controls the future. He holds tomorrow in his hands. And so instead of like making these promises, why don't you just do what you say? Just like say it and do it. Just be a person whose word is the same as their action. Stop going around putting things off and just do a thing. If someone asks you, then you do it. Instead of saying, man, I control my future because he wants to remind us that we don't. It's another way for James to show us how fragile we are. How small your life is and how much, We need Jesus. Tonight, my prayer is that we can all patiently wait, knowing that there's nothing we can do on our own. So we're waiting with excitement and joy in our hearts that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is coming back soon. I pray that you value him more than anything else in your life. That that one statement makes your heart jump higher than anything else does in your life, even higher than that girl or boy that you like a whole lot or that sport you like to play or those plans you have for your life, whatever the thing might be, I pray that Jesus would be more to you. He would be the most valuable thing in your life. and That you'd be waiting patiently, but eagerly because he's coming back. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes for Jesus? As we sing this next song, I just want you guys to think about how much we need our Savior. Think about the fact that there's nothing you can do on your own, but we are totally dependent on Jesus. And would you just pray this to him? Just say, God, will you show me how small I am compared to you? God, will you cause my heart to want to rejoice at the fact that Jesus is coming back.